We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Panaki Kathiari, CEO and owner of Local Wisdom, a digital communications agency. Panaki's experience spans two decades, serving global fortune companies, startups, and multi-industry agencies. He's also the co-founder of Resource Hero, Vice President of Professional Development for the IABC Tri-State Area Chapter and a business mentor for Women Unlimited, Inc. In this episode, Amanda sits down with Panaki to discuss his communications team maturity model, the ROI of employee recognition, and the value of a digital communications presence. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Panaki Kathiari, CEO and owner of Local Wisdom, and your host, Amanda Berry. Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Panaki, how are you doing? No, I'm doing well. Thank you. It's getting colder out here. Winter is hitting. Yes. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Winter is coming. I'm in Wisconsin, so <laughs> winter is coming here too. We are we are knee deep in it almost, just with not a lot of snow yet. But thanks for joining me today. I want to first start off and understand more about who you are and what you've been doing. Can you talk about your career journey and how you got to where you are today? It's kind of a little deep, but yeah, I'll, I'll explain. So growing up, I, I wanted to be an engineer because that's what my dad was. Then kind of like in the middle of like high school, I got into drawing and art and writing and doing all exploring my creative side. So by the time college came around, I was thinking of pursuing something in the arts. And my dad was like, no, you're going to go into engineering. And so that's where I started. And I ended up going into computer science because the internet had just started back then. I'm kind of dating myself, I guess. And software seemed to be more interesting than circuitry to me at the time, right? So, and at the time, there was also no way to take both art or design and computer science courses together. So I couldn't minor in art. So I ended up minoring in psychology. So I graduated when that like tech bubble burst. And I, I found myself at this like office manager position at this IT consulting company. And it was a great experience. I learned a lot about the ins and outs of small businesses and basically dealt with just about every job function in that role. So that's where I met the founders of Local Wisdom. There were a group of friends that I had during college and we had studied together and things like that. So after we graduated, I, I kind of found myself working on the side with them because we saw this need in the market where there were companies that did great design and companies that did great technology, but none that did both really well. And so that's what we set out to create a, a company could, to do that. So I guess you could say we were born in digital communications and I was part of that co-founding team. But back then it was a basement operation. I always laugh because I say in the 
West Coast startups happen in the garage, while the East Coast startups happen in the basement. Because <laughs> there are no basements on the West Coast. That's I've right. Heard. And it's cold <laughs> out here. So, you know, it was my co-founder, Michael Alfaro's house. And yeah, working with Local Wisdom was really like pro bono. And it just allowed me to practice and learn and build up a portfolio. So with that portfolio, I, I found myself joining Johnson & Johnson with an in-house shared communication team. I was essentially helping to build their first digital team within this communication team. And so we managed like over 100 websites, both internal and external. And I found myself going from web developer to senior designer. And then at some point, I hit this kind of like design project that totally made me rethink design. And it was it was interesting. It was at the beginning of the entire user experience movement, and it just kind of like diverted me into kind of going from creative design to user experience design. And so for a little while, I, I joined Avenue A Razorfish, which was a global digital agency. I was at their Times Square office as an information architect, which was tons of fun. I got to work on Ford Motor Company's corporate website, the Microsoft Sync My Ride product, worked on a few projects with Merrill Lynch. And throughout the time, I kept up with my friends at Local Wisdom, and I got a call back from them with an offer to join as a partner, which was really cool. So I, I, so I came on to build up the user experience practice. And so I did that. I moved to director of production, kind of moved around a little bit and swapped roles and got into marketing and sales, and then ultimately became the CEO. And throughout all that, our core remained the same. It was all around technology, design, and communication. So, you know, we not only help build communication channels, but we structure teams to help manage the everyday production of communication. So it's been a really great journey. We've been through some great times. We've been through some tough times. We had to find ourselves, but I'm super happy to report that we have one of the best teams that I've worked with throughout this time. All clients are happy and I'm seeing exciting things in the future. So I'm going to knock on wood here. <laughs> And about the time when I was in marketing and sales, we also launched a bunch of digital apps and products, one of which is called Resource Hero. And it's a Salesforce app that allows service teams to forecast and track time of their, of their people really easy. It's a five-star app, and that's doing really well. So yeah, that's kind of overall the journey. I'm happy to be here with you, Amanda. And so yeah, that's the quick semi-abridged story. I love that. I feel like I, I, I hear from a lot of people who I talk to, like leaders in the communication space. Nobody has almost, nobody has a traditional, I started in communications and I'm in communications. Everyone has such a interesting background and story. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot of that about you in your background. I mean, I know you from like IABC. So to hear that, like, I love that story. Can you just talk a little bit more about Local Wisdom? I'd love to know how they got the name, Local Wisdom, but help people understand what Local Wisdom is and what, what y'all do. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great story. Yeah, so the name Local Wisdom was something that a prior owner had said. It kind of stuck. The domain name was available, so they just kind of went with it. And so it, it's interesting. It kind of happened before I joined, and I actually never got to speak with the person who came up with it. What was interesting was it was a while ago, several years ago, one of our creative directors had found something very interesting about the name Local Wisdom. So Local Wisdom is actually a term used to describe how knowledge is passed down generation to generation within an indigenous tribe, specifically in Australia. So, And so we aimed local wisdom to be that, right? So local wisdom is wisdom that's passed down and added to 
and passed down and added to and so on all around digital and digital communications. And I think that's why we kind of set up our values to include learn from doing and share that wisdom. Because if we're not here to really, you know, help each other out, help each other grow and be better and be successful in some form or the next generation to be successful, then it's kind of like, why are we here? Right. And all that goes into the experience also of what it's like working with local wisdom as a client. I'm always really happy to hear that with us, like the client experience doesn't really feel like an agency client relationship. It's more like a cultivated one team mentality because, you know, I think like great things come from great teamwork. So I think the name is very fitting. I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we captured that domain name. As far as what we do, we are a digital communications agency and our mission is essentially to enable our clients who are communicators, both internal and external, to have the time and headspace to be strategic leaders in their organization. And we do that by taking on the tactical nuts and bolts of their strategy. So many times they're doing so much and it's hard to kind of take the step back and be strategic. So we want to give them that leeway to do so. And the services that we have, we have three main services that kind of adapt to their needs. Uh, one is a project service, which we typically use to like launch a communication platform or evolve it. We have a subscription model, which gives clients access to incremental talent as they need, mainly to handle everyday communication. Then we have a studio model, which we will actually kind of place an in-house comms production team to really ramp up volume of communications in an organization. Well, I feel like I have like a thousand questions based on what you just <laughs> said. So I'm going to try to remember a lot of them and sort of dig in deeper. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move us into our first segment, Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. And we're going to start diving into those questions. But I want to start because like, I know you, I've, I've met you at conferences, we've chatted. You're a very gracious and easy person to talk to. You're, you're very kind. And I know something that, that's, that is very important to you is employee recognition. You just recently wrote a blog about it. It's on your website. And we're at that time of year, right? It's, it's end of year, beginning of year, where employers are handing out bonuses, employee recognition is ramping up. People are probably submitting all sorts of nominations to recognize employees for the, the work that they've done over the year. You are very clear about the importance, importance of employee recognition. The one thing that sticks with me is it feels like it should be an everyday thing and not an end of the year or beginning of the year thing. And you talk about the ROI of employee recognition and how you get so much out of it. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that, like what that means to you to have an ROI based on employee recognition. How do you quantify that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well thank you for the, for the compliments. Like, I really appreciate that. And it's things like that that are going to really keep me going. But yeah, as far as like ROI, recognition and things like that, I, I, I can say I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, especially in business. And I think one of the drawbacks to like, I guess, like a highly ambitious personality like myself is to really not take the time to thank people for their work. It's kind of like you go from one thing to the next because we're on a mission, right? You know, you're based on some goals that you're trying to hit by the end of the year and there's no time for all this stuff, right? So I, I realized though that if people don't know how they're actually or really making a difference, then they kind of lose sight of like why they're here. Right. So we all do that. Right. It feels like 
it feels like being in a conversation with two other people who are speaking another language and like kind of like why am i here and how am i even contributing right so at our monthly team get togethers we we take time literally as long as it takes to thank each other for specific things that we've done for each other throughout the month so we call it kudos and we've been doing it for years now and it's it's, it's so magical and wild to watch when we have guest speakers at our meetings, they're, they're just kind of like wowed by it. Like I've never experienced that before. And it makes a ridiculous impact when a new hire comes on board and sees it as well. And so I, I think it's important for us to take the time to like acknowledge specifically why we are grateful for each other. It kind of warms the soul, I think. And I guess if you want to get all psychological about it, it, it fosters you know positive behavior through repetitive reinforcement, really, right? It becomes a habit. And, you know, I, I kind of think about it, you, you know, you talk about like ROI and things like that. And I, and I think about it in terms of like these habits. What if people like take it home with them? Right. Like, well, maybe I should stop and uh, tell my daughter how proud of I am for talking to her manager and asking for that raise and getting it, you know. So I'm really thinking about how businesses can be more human and how corporations can make a positive social impact. Right. So with something as basic and as little as a thank you, right? So tactically, I, I do things like in my templates for announcements and things like that. I have a little section that's dedicated for thank you. So I specifically see this heading and I have to write something every week what I'm thankful for. So like, I think like last week I was, I thanked everyone for allowing me to take a week off, which I was really grateful for. I'm glad you also mentioned that blog because quantifying it is a whole interesting thing. I think we called it the ROI of employee recognition. And it, it was it was purposefully a little bit of a bait and switch, actually, because I, I know leadership needs to have data, but it's really difficult to quantify feelings, right? Like, how do you calculate the ROI of a relationship? It's strange. It's something about how it feels, right? So the real question I kind of start thinking about is, why do we have to quantify employee recognition, right? Like, do you not like to be recognized for something you do? Like, thank you for recognizing me for some of the things I did. It made me feel really warm and happy and wanted made me want to keep doing it, right? So I think leaders want to quantify investment into recognition systems and programs. And that I get because, you know, that takes some funds and investment and planning. But I also think that recognition doesn't have to take a large investment. Like I said, simply adding a topic to your leader's speaking points, right? It's the littlest thing you could do that doesn't cost really anything, right? Because at the end of the day, we work better as friends, right? And friends show appreciation to each other, right? And I think if a, if a, like a, the way I quantify that is like, do people in your organization band together to get you through the hard times, right? Would you feel confident in that? And how would people band to get together to get you through the good times. Yeah, I I think about this and I, I think about like leaders who I know do this really well and then leaders who maybe haven't prioritized this. And I can tell you, knowing like the CEO of the company that I work at now, he always starts off with gratitude and what he's grateful for and, and turns it back to employees. And, it, and it's sincere. It actually isn't scripted. And I think about my boss who, you know, is, is always grateful for the work we do. And it really does make me want to stay there and continue doing good things for them because they are grateful and they express that gratitude. And I think that's a huge ROI, just even, even that, like, you know, you talk about local wisdom and, and learning and then adding to it and passing it down. Like it, it just feels like the reach of that can be so big when you, when employees stay because they feel valued. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And you kind of talk about employee ambassadors and things like that. Just, you know, like saying what you just said and it being the truth from you, it just makes me want to work at, you know, your organization. Thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we actually just did a big season of gratitude where you just went on and thanks any employee and every employee you wanted. And it was a huge success. Like people were just coming up from the woodwork. Thank you. Employees. I was thinking people who I, you know, had projects with when I first started and I was trying to do like one or two a day. And it was just really, really well done. I think when people saw that they were being appreciated, then that made them want to go appreciate other people. Absolutely. It becomes like infectious. No. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The good kind of infection. Good kind. Year. <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was reading your blog that I would work on, when I worked at a place prior to prior employment or the C-suite, I would sit down with them and they would each bring a couple employees on from their departments and talk about them. And then other C-suite leaders would reach out to those employees like, hey, your leader mentioned you did this. Maybe it was sort of minor, but I'm really thankful that you did that. It was wildly successful. That's part of the way that they would show gratefulness to employees outside of their department. So what are some ways that you can think of how leaders can get involved, people managers, leaders, and just non-managers can be doing this to get this rolling at organizations. Absolutely, uh, you know, and, and I think your story was a great one, actually, because I think the the first thing that comes to my mind is just making sure it's like absolutely genuine, right? And I, I think the way you said that story with they would talk about it in the C suite, so it's it's like I'm talking about you almost behind your back, but it's all yeah, good in stuff. the best and way possible. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's like positive gossip, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty wild. That's that's a really great and interesting idea too because I, yeah like like i said i think it just has to be genuine and if it's not or if it feels forced or contrived i think that's going to come across too because i think people are trained to see things like that you know i'm an entrepreneur so i try to think like what's the kind of most i could get with the littlest investment in that way so it's it's kind of really about like finding just those small trigger moments to say thank you and that way it doesn't even like feel daunting either right rather than kind of creating some kind of big and arduous recognition program. So it was just, like I said, at the beginning of meetings, just thank someone or recognize someone or recognize the team, put it in your speaking points, applauding little things like work anniversaries and project milestones would be great. You know, I I also kind of not only celebrate the, the good stuff uh, or the end of it, but I also celebrate the in-between and, and potentially even low milestones or low moments in the project because they need it most at that point, right? This kind of like gifts and being mindful over people's workload. So beyond just kind of saying thank you and gifting things, we're just trying to forecast ahead of time. Like when when are we going to have pain and trying to be mindful to like circumvent that? And just like you said, kind of carving out time to just connect with people on a human level. Like even as a leader, there's so much to do, so many things to communicate to so many people just trying to find one little way to just carve out time and say, hey, thank you for this. And or just like your story, hey, in our last leadership meeting, so-and-so mentioned this. So to really appreciate your work there, right? There's those little things, I think, because, you know, I think, you know, we're friends, or both of our friends, right? We're not friends because they give us like a great Christmas present at the end of the year. We're friends because all these like little you know, interactions and things like that just make us feel good being together. And and that's the way you should think about it as, as opposed to kind of incorporating it into your everyday as opposed to like a once a year or every so often thing. 
Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I do want to point out, I don't know if, if you can speak from experience, but this is such a good practice to take in your home life. You'd mentioned your daughter, you're proud for asking for a raise and getting it. Spouses, partners, children, family, friends. I know like I'm always extremely grateful, like when my husband vacuums and I don't have, you know, like... <laughs> And, you know, we thank each other all the time for that stuff because it makes a huge difference outside yeah. of work, too. Yeah, it's it's really like those little things. And, and yeah. you know, it's funny, you know, you asked about like kind of results, right, and feeling valued. And, and I actually think like the word results could actually stop us from thanking each other, which is pretty wild. If we kind of stop producing and take a moment to breathe, then, you know, the results will slow down and we can't have that. So we have this like cycle of like, we need results, so we have to move fast, so there's no time to appreciate or make people feel valued. But it kind of works the other way around, like making people feel valued actually makes them faster to then bring you results, right? So, you know, we don't need employee recognition programs as much as we need just people to be good to other people. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It's important just to have people recognizing people and not just this once a year recognition program. You know, I, it's funny, I used to help run the annual, I and met a prize, previous employer, the annual employee recognition, you know, it was like top award, you know, six employees wanted or whatever, one for each value we had. I forget, they did cash bonus and all this other stuff. And I did a lot of sort of research and I asked a lot of employees there like, how do you want to be recognized? Would you love the CEO to interrupt your meeting and say, you won? How would you feel the most valued if you were to win this? And time and time again, it did not fail. People said, I would love for my manager to do it if I, if I were to win. And I think that was a learning moment for me because that's that's the person you work closely with. They give you reviews and, and all that stuff and having them involved and not, not so much the CEO, but having your manager be involved in that is such a key part of employee recognition and feeling valued. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I think peers as well. Yeah. Right? Even that just because like it's validating to people that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's rare that a CEO will work with someone on a day-to-day -day basis. And so the CEO can speak to their appreciation for work on this project, but you didn't know it firsthand or you didn't work with them firsthand. So the only best you could say is like, I you know, heard from an employee or I heard from a client or I heard from someone. They did a great job, so thank you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm going to move us into our next segment, Getting Tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. So I want to sort of back up because you all do a lot of communications work. You know, you walk through your three three offerings, but I want to talk about communication team maturity model because I, I, you know, that's on your website. It's something that people can sort of look at and figure out where they stand. And I'm wondering if you can help us understand what that is and how you walk through it, like how people can go to your website and take this to see where they score on this maturity model. I'll give you a quick, I guess, the origin story to give you kind of context as to like what this is. It was like 2020, you know, during the pandemic. And quite honestly, I was I was playing a video game. I was, <laughs> I was playing The Witcher 3. My wife and I saw the Netflix show with Henry Cavill. Heard great things about the game. And it, it is a fabulous game. 
Do you play video games, Amanda? Or do you... I'm I'm more old school. Like my husband and I have an old school Nintendo. Nice. And so like we'll play like Super Mario Three or Doctor Mario or Excite Bike. I think we also have an Atari, an old school Atari. Excite Bike. So, yeah, we go we go old school when we play video games. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that, that, that is awesome and it is very cool. So Witcher Three is like an open world video game. Open world. It's it's kind of like if you ever remember the first Zelda game on Nintendo. I do, right? yes. Like, you're just in this world and you could go any direction. You don't even know what exactly you're doing or whatnot. You know you have to beat up this guy Ganon and save the princess or find find Zelda and whatnot. So I'm playing this, this game and it's interesting. The good part of like an open world video game is like you could just explore it in multiple ways and approach it in different strategies. The bad is that there's so many options, difficult decisions and things that you do that would either lock or unlock other parts of the game. So, you know, I don't have much time to play video games and I wanted to get the most out of it. So every now and then I'd go online and look at a strategy guide, right? And like, right? You know, back I, I, in the, I get it. Yeah, back right? in the day you could buy the books or yep. talk to a kid in the class who had already beaten it. Exactly. You know, yeah. Exactly. So in video games, we have strategy guys and people give you ways to, to beat the game. But at some point it hit me that building a comms function is a lot like an open world video game, right? There's just, you're just plopped into this organization. There's so many ways to approach it. And what you do has an impact into the future, but there is no simple, easy strategy guide on how to do that. So that inspired me to create one. And that's where the model came from. So I took my kind of 20 years of working with comms teams, development teams, and creative teams. I brought in insights from the people that I work with at Local Wisdom. I brought in experts and consultants and strategists to get their take on it. So spoke to Rachel Miller about this, Chuck Ghost, Sarah Jackson, Jason Anthorn, Ethan McCarthy. People that I just, I just absolutely love. So all of these people kind of thought really good things about it and kind of propelled it forward. So what we created was an internal communication team maturity model. And it's a model where you can take an assessment, see where you are today, envision where you want to be based on the model, and then kind of map out a plan to get there. And really the, the main kind of use case here is it helps everyone by setting expectations around work experience, the kind of internal structures that you have in your comms team, the skills and talent that you need, the work volume you have, and the business output that you're looking or the business changes you're looking to create in the organization. So it helps you to see where you have potential misalignments of expectations, because that's when things get frustrating. Like maybe you don't have enough team members to handle the work volume, or maybe you have the team members, but your comms channels aren't right. So this this model will help people see that. And that's, see, that's kind of it, how it so works. So it helps you see kind of where maybe your weak spots are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So it's on your website, I believe. Yeah. Can you kind of just walk me through it just a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah. So... You can access the, the website from any browser at the URL maturity.localwisdom.com. And that'll take you to an assessment. It's like a nine multiple choice questions assessment, and it takes less than five minutes to actually fill out. The results will give you insight into the specific level you're at, and it'll also give you a link to the entire model so you can see where you fit within it. But the model itself is kind of fits on one page, there are six columns that we call levels of maturity. So column one is level one, and column six is like level six. And each level is described by five attributes, right? So we have five rows under each column. 
And each row describes workday, which kind of describes a typical day in the life of the team. Achievements, which lists milestones or achievements that you should have accomplished. And there's a specific sequential order to them. And these are the like internal structures that help you run your team, like comm strategy or editorial calendar, things like that. The other attribute is team. So these are the key roles that you need on your team to basically move forward and, and kind of how much time you'll need from these roles throughout it. We have work volume, which is a visual depiction showing the relationship of like the amount of work versus the team you could take on. And then we have business outcomes, which is also another business depiction that shows that there needs to be a relationship on ROI with everything we do, right? So to give you insight, like level one kind of looks like a startup, right? When you're a level one comms organization, it's like one or two passionate people just kind of like thrusted onto the team. And it's like a pandemonium of tactical communications with either poor or non-existent communication platforms. By like level three, the team has gotten into this rhythm of communications production and just shaping leadership and shaping comms. And like level six, you have multiple comms teams, corporate and at local levels, all kind of like working in tandem really to drive business outcomes. Wow, that's cool. I, I know I've taken it and I highly, I will highly recommend it to our listeners because you, you get a lot of good information out of it. You can just, like I said, see where your weak spots are and maybe where you might need some investment. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned different teams. Can you talk about what a good IC team looks like? You know, going into 2023, what are some must-haves for a good IC team or even an employee experience team? Well, let me let me just broaden that up a little bit. Yeah, thank you. I think they do go hand in hand that way. And I think the first main thing I think is really helpful or essential is like leadership buy-in. Having someone at the leadership position that understands what we're trying to do and can back it up to like other leaders in the organization. With relation to the maturity model, I think this is an undocumented level zero, because even to get to like level one or whatnot, or even growth, if you don't have leadership buy-in, then it starts to feel like you're going uphill, right? And the other thing just to mention, just because I, I mentioned like levels of this thing. Like I say this when I kind of talk about the model, I, I never want anyone to feel like it's a competition. Like you have to get to level six. You don't, you just have to get to where you want to get to, right? It's more like a map than it is a competition. And to answer your question, like the key roles that we have in the model include comms director. So this is someone who can work with leadership, influence leadership, and kind of be the voice of the comms team for leadership. We have a comms manager who's actually building the comms team, working with the team and working on those structures that keep the team productive. We have a comms strategist on the team, and this is the person who is creating the campaigns to get to business results and measuring against them. We have a content specialist who's working on producing and publishing the content. And then we have roles that help kind of support the content production, which is like writer, designer, developer, things like that. And the other caveat that I'll add to this is when I say roles, the model doesn't mean that each role always is a different person, right? Like I said, level one is like a startup. So sometimes you're playing multiple roles. Sometimes you're creating strategy and actually like writing the copy. I'm sure a lot of listeners can, can identify with that because I feel like a lot of teams are one person. Mm -hmm. and I, I hear that a lot. So maybe they're the director, the writer, the designer, and the leader. 
we see that a lot as well. And I think that's kind of one of the impetus for this model is, is just to kind of realistically show you that you cannot realistically scale that way. Yeah. You know, and so if the expectation is like your leadership is having an expectation that you'll kind of create business outcomes of like, I don't know, you know, making employee satisfaction even better or whatnot. It's just so much one person can do. Yeah. And especially if they're already pretty tied up and tactics, right? I mean, I have a friend, she's actually been on the the podcast where she said outcomes, not tactics, but if we're forced to, we got a newsletter, we got to get up, we Mm -hmm. got the intranet, we've got talking points for the town hall. We've got like all these 15 things that have to be done and not really thinking about how can we then just improve like employee experience? Like what role can we play? But we're so focused on this stuff we have to get out the door. Yeah. How do you account for that? Like, how do you help leaders see the bigger picture and not these tactics? We've kind of like try our best to kind of go down the approach of seeing is believing that way. So I could try to sit here and tell you so many ways to like pitch it and, and kind of get it. But until you actually like see, all right, hey, we bring in local wisdom to help you handle your kind of staging of content and just publishing. Anything just simple as that, that shaves off hours of time from your employees. And then they could do things that actually consultants and vendors can't do. Do things like scour the organization for great stories, right? And kind of talk and cultivate these relationships with different partners in the organization so you can communicate better. It's better having your employees spend time doing things like that than it is to just simply like QA a newsletter and like upload the distribution list and send that out to everyone, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're giving me flashbacks of a, of a time when I had to do that. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. sends shivers down my spine. It, for those listeners out there who have to do that, right? Getting lists from HR and uploading them and sending these messages. I feel that pain and there's just a lot of, a lot of work involved in that. Absolutely. And, and that's what we do. That's what we want to kind of, allow you to concentrate on what's important to your role in the organization. I feel like one of the things leaders will grab their ear and and get them to listen is ROI. I mean, you mentioned the ROI of employee recognition. So what are some metrics internal communicators can be using to show value, show ROI that would get their leader's attention? I think what's important about ROI is that I guess comms, does need to take accountability for making business changes, right? And in order to take accountability for it, we just need to know what that is. And a lot of times I think our clients and communicators kind of struggle with that, or even like leaders struggle with kind of creating a really concrete outcome that we want to strive for, or there's too many outcomes and we're trying to do too much at once. So I think the key metrics will always kind of net out to like, did we produce the outcome that we wanted? So what are we going after? Are we trying to reduce turnover? Are we trying to increase productivity? Are we trying to reduce injury in the workplace? Are we trying to increase employee satisfaction? Things like that we want to really hook ourselves onto. And we really need to understand if we do do this, how do we know that we're making a difference? So it's important to be able to know that. And it's important to be able to like decide how many of these things we're going to tackle within a given period of time. Right. So the outcome should always be measurable. And that's important. And now I think a lot of people kind of find themselves measuring the comms or the campaign strategy for those outcomes. And I think that's important, too, 
but we do need to hook on to an outcome. So once you do have an outcome that we're trying to affect, we measure the effectiveness of the campaign. I always look at like four things around that, right? So do people do what we wanted them to do in order to create that outcome, right? Did people engage with our communications, right? Did they like it, comment on it, things like that? Did people understand our communication, right? Did they actually take the time to read and absorb that communication? And then finally, did people see our communication, right? Did they see the email? Did they click on the link? Things like that. Those are kind of ways to kind of set up almost a conversion funnel to the outcome that you're trying to change. Right? So that kind of takes some marketing aspects and brings it into internal comms. Yeah, I love that you're pointing out, like, because I feel like sometimes we can get really caught up in how many opens, what's the open rate? Mm-hmm. When the, the follow-up question should be, well, did they understand it? Which I love that you called that out. I'm really guilty about this. Like, I'll open email just to make it <laughs> yeah. read, but I may not read it. Yeah. Or I may read it and I don't understand it. Yeah. Or, you know, I might read it, I understand it, but I'm very unhappy with it. When I work on internal communication now, that's been a focus. Like, well, how do people feel about it? Because I feel like that's such a big part yeah. of employee experience. Yeah. So it's important, I think, to have some level of understanding metrics along all of those kind of yeah. pathways. And I, I try to also recommend not to look at too many metrics along those, yeah. because the more you have, the more difficult it is to create. So it's just like the key things that allow me to know if this conversion or this kind of campaign worked. And if something is looking off, that's when you could dig deeper into more metrics along those paths. If we see that a lot of people saw it, but they just didn't spend time on the site to, for us to feel that they properly absorbed it, then we could follow up on that. Yeah. Or they, I love that. So you point out like they saw it or that we think that they read it because they opened it but they didn't act on it. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow through. They didn't, whatever it is, register yeah. for benefits or recognize an employer, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of in realms of like marketing conversion, it's not like you're really interested on the metrics. You're interested on the fall off or the trend of the metrics, right? Okay. So as long yeah. as you're kind of measuring the same things over and over again, you get to kind of start seeing where things go offline or if you're just not making a difference in that overarching outcome trend. Yeah. It's been a wild couple of years, especially for like (laughs) employee experience and internal communications. We talk about like leaders really saw our value during the pandemic and and all of this, that it just, it was wild, right? Throwing out our playbooks because now a lot of our workforce is remote or they're not here or, you know, it just, it was a huge shift for employee experience and internal communications. And I'm wondering... If you have any thoughts, this this maturity model, any changes that have been made because of Mm. what we experienced past two years or or any you're looking forward to making in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So like like I kind of mentioned, the model was created in 2020. And like you said, our worlds have changed. Very much. So so it's it's been a fascinating ride launching this and kind of observing it and seeing how how the world has changed. So we we found a few things that, that are changing and we're, we're looking to implement these changes coming into 2023. Some of the new roles that we're seeing emerging are roles like community managers, right? Like people that tend to online communities. We're seeing a heightened importance of community ambassadors, especially while we're virtual. Like, how do we know what's going on in different locations and how people are feeling? I think it's time to add data specialists into the team because I think we need our own numbers person, especially as we get into like the 
higher levels and kind of higher volumes. And, you know, it wasn't there originally, but I think video production is something that is going to become increasingly more important, video audio production, because we need to be able to do things like create videos and content and then being able to like edit, slice and dice them into smaller chunks of content. I've also found that people are struggling with those kind of milestones or those achievements, those internal structures. So I think one of the the things that we want to do to elevate the, the offering is to offer more resources within the assessment. So once you take the assessment, the results give you kind of some tips on what to do next and how to move forward. But we'd like to add some more resources and templates that actually like help folks actually do it. I want to broaden this out just a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm forward thinking. And as, as I'm thinking about what you're going to do, maybe do the model and the way teams to be structured, I want to talk about this idea of digital communications. That's what y'all do at Local Wisdom. But I want to talk about people who maybe are very early in the development of a digital communications program for any number of reasons, right? They don't have funding. Maybe they have a lot of frontline workers who aren't desk bound. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to that a little bit. How could people begin to be more digital if they don't feel like they're there yet? One, good communications doesn't have to be digital, right? Like we talked a, a little while ago where a thank you, you know, in words is helpful or adding something to a speaking point for someone, you know, I think town hall meetings, kind of regular live meetings and get togethers also fall into your like campaigns or, or content strategy and, and things like that as well. There's some places where print and things like that still also make a difference and are necessary, right? So I think what's really important and kind of back to what we said earlier is like always start with the business objectives and understanding of the people and your employees, right? You should always know that those company objectives that we're striving for, like I said earlier. And on top of that, you should also know how the employees are doing and, and what's working, what's not working, you know, what's broken. Kind of similar to what you said, Amanda, I really like what you said of like, I'd go and talk to people and say like, how do you like to be recognized and things like that, right? So I think that's monumentally important. It's also super difficult, especially if you're like, have so much going on, like, how am I going to carve out time to like talk to all these people and, and things like that? It could be really daunting. So I also suggest prioritizing those employee populations that are the largest and have the most impact on the organization. So we could start prioritizing and kind of approaching it bit by bit. And, and a fun little thing, I, I created a a, a tool, a template a while ago on like comm strategies and campaign strategies. And so I, I, I've come up with like five questions that I always think about when I'm coming up with a comm strategy. And that's one, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve? Talked about that. Two, what is the action that we want people to take that's going to lead to that out, uh, outcome? Three, what is the belief that we want people to have that's going to lead to that action? Four is what is the experience that's going to lead to that belief? And five, what are the communications channels that will create that experience? Right. So I think if you like answer these questions, you'll inevitably come up with a comms plan that will help you meet your end-all objectives. And I don't think it necessarily all has to be digital, but I think there are digital aspects to it. 
Panaki, I feel like I could continue this conversation with you forever. You're fun to talk to and you have a lot of good insight. So I, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Before I let you go, will you let our listeners know where they can find you? You could find me on LinkedIn, Panaki Kathiari. You'll find out how to spell that when you get this I guess, <laughs> podcast link, but there are no other Panaki Kathiaris out there. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> and if you meet another Kathiari out there, they are related to me. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you could always find me on Instagram. My handle is the only Panaki on Instagram and on Twitter. And you could always find me on what we're doing at Local Wisdom at localwisdom.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Panaki. This has been great. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Likewise, I share the sentiment. It's so fun chatting and conversing with you. And I, I think we could kind of go on for hours. So yeah, I appreciate I, it. I wish we could. <laughs> thank you so much. Be well. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the modern internet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at Simpler.com. That's S-I-N-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.